0: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezinski, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you came back. Or if this is your first episode that you're listening to, welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio. Uh, This episode is a really fun one and one that I've been really excited to record. And that is because it's a little bit of an, an experience and an opportunity for me to share a little bit of wisdom with you. A little bit of, hey, these are the mistakes that I made, and maybe if I tell you about them, you I can prevent you from having to make the same mistakes. So that's really my goal. We're going to talk about five things that I wish that I knew before I started a weight loss journey. Now, if you're just at the beginning of a weight loss journey, awesome. Then obviously this this episode is going to be really powerful for you to be able to start out on you know the right foot. However, some of you are listening to this and are like, Amber, I've been on a Weight loss journey for 30 years. And if that's the case, this episode is still going to be really powerful for you because you may be making some very, very common mistakes in the way that you're approaching your weight loss journey. And you might have some aha moments as you listen to this episode of realizing some of those mistakes. And why that's so beneficial is because when we realize mistakes that we're making, we can start to change them and we can start to shift them and we can start to get new results that are different from the results we've been getting in the past. So that's my goal today is to kind of just shoot straight with you, share you a little bit about my experience going through some like weight loss and you know different goals that I've set over the years and different experiences that I've had trying to lose weight. some of the things that have been beneficial and really some of the things that I wish somebody would have sat me down and told me as I started on this journey. So that's really what I'm going to do for you. We're going to sit down, we're going to have a chat, and I'm going to tell you some of the things that I wish that I had known so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that I did. So as we roll into this topic, let me start with just sharing a little bit of my experience through the years like let's go back many 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 years and kind of talk about some of my experience and this is a question that I get a lot people find me on Instagram and they you know ask me the question well like have you ever had to lose weight have you ever struggled with your weight have you like you just look like you've been fit and thin all of your life and so let's go back and kind of tell some of the stories of you know Amber years and years and years ago now, if you've listened to some of my podcast episode, you've heard me talk that about the fact that I was raised in a home where I had a really awesome mom, and and her experience and her relationship with food and her relationship with her body and her relationship with exercise were actually very, very positive. And I know a lot of you listening to this maybe didn't have that same experience. Many of the women that I talked to, they when they look back at their time with their moms or their dads they remember a lot of dieting. They remember a lot of like hating their body. They remember a lot of always trying to eat less or saying, I can't eat that. And a lot of you have had that experience and that, that sticks with you as you grow up of, of learning how to, how to be in relationship with your body because you saw that modeled a certain way for you with your mother or your father or your caregiver. And that has shaped how you relate to your body. That has shaped how you relate to food. I had a really great experience growing up. My mom was a fitness instructor. She didn't do a whole lot of diets. There wasn't a whole lot of body shaming or body talk in our, our family in growing up. And generally we ate a fairly healthy um diet. My mom, you know, cooked vegetables. We ate a lot of chicken, honestly, growing up. I just remember chicken like most nights of the week. And, you know, overall I feel like I had a pretty healthy point of view of my body, of food, and of exercise. I remember very early on in my childhood watching my mom teach fitness classes at the YMCA. Some of my earliest memories are when I was probably about five years old, I would go to the childcare and there was a window between where I I stayed in the childcare and where my mom was teaching her class, so I could look through this window and, and watch my mom teaching her stepbrother's class. So those are some of my earliest memories, and you know, as soon as I was able, you know, the YMCA had an age. I, th- I think it might have been. 12 to when you could go into group fitness classes. And then it was for sure 14 when you could go in the weight room. And as soon as I hit those ages, my mom brought me into her fitness classes and she took me into the weight room. And so I really had a really awesome experience of having fitness and a healthy lifestyle modeled for me from a very early age. I I feel really grateful that I was able to have that. Now, again, some of you listening are like, that was not my story, Amber. That was not the experience that I was raised at. And, you know, Like I wish that everybody had that experience. But if that's you, you can't go back and change the past. Obviously, you can't change your experience. You can't change like growing up, um, how you grew up. What you do have control over and what you can change is how you impact the next generation. So how you impact your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews or the other people who you have influence over. You can't change the past. We can't change how you were raised, but how you relate to your body, your health and fitness can absolutely change that for someone else. And so that's that's something I want you to hold on to if you feel like I didn't really have a great experience growing up of someone modeling healthy behaviors for me. You can be the change in in that in that chain. Okay. So that was my experience, you know, while I was living at home. And then I went away to college and man, college, college, I was exposed to a whole lot of different foods that, Maybe my my parents like didn't keep in the house a ton. I just remember my freshman year having you know unlimited access to ice cream and waffles and all the food that I could eat. You know, I was on campus and so you could just eat as much food as you wanted. And I absolutely gained the freshman fifteen and, and maybe even a little bit more. And I remember like coming home and I don't remember anybody like saying anything when I came home for Christmas or like for the summer, but I definitely remember being very acutely aware that, that quote unquote, like freshman 15 that I had definitely fallen into that freshman 15. And so I remember when I went back to school that there was a part of me that was like, okay, you know, let's, we got to take care of this. We're going to, I'd exercise the whole time that I was, At at school, but I realized I was like, you know, my I'm I'm probably eating a whole lot of different foods and a whole lot more food than I than I used to be eating. So we're gonna get this off, you know, we're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to be able to get this off. And I hadn't really been taught much about uh, weight loss or about how to actually change my body. And so I defaulted to what I think a lot of us default to is just like, well, I just need to eat healthier. I just need to eat you know, less pizza and you know, not eat ice cream and not eat like have anything with sugar in it. I just need to eat healthier and then the weight will fall off. But I got into a cycle that many of you are probably familiar with of, you know, being very rigid with myself, of saying, okay, it's Monday, this this week I'm gonna be good. This week I'm not gonna eat any sugar. I'm gonna only eat like clean foods. I'm not gonna eat anything that's processed. And I would start the week out with high hopes and do really well, you know, on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. I would, you know, be starting to falter, but like I was holding fast and firm. And then we get to Friday, and it seemed like something always came up. My roommates got pizza. We were going to go out. Um, there was something that was always seemed to like throw me off, and I would indulge or I'd be like, okay, well, I'm just gonna have one slice of pizza, and then one slice of pizza would turn into five slices of pizza because I felt like I just like couldn't stop. Eating once I started eating. Um, And then that would roll into Saturday. And well, I messed up on Friday night. So then I might as well eat whatever I want Saturday. And that rolled into Sunday. And then Monday came again. And it was like recommitment all over again. Okay, this week, you know, last week, whatever, uh, you know, whatever happened last week, I I feel really bad about last week. But this week, this week's going to be different. And uh, (laughs) looking back, I'm like, well, what was going to be different. And there really wasn't anything in my mind of like how it was going to be different it was simply like i'm just going to try harder i'm just going to work harder i'm just going to be have more willpower and just like commit to not having sugar this week and, th- and that that'll do that'll do it <laughs> that'll fix everything and time and time and time and time again, this happened over and over and over again. You think I would have learned, but, um, I kept just thinking, well, I just need to try harder. I just need to do better, but it would be the same cycle. Monday, I would be all, he- you know, head in, you know, grit my teeth. I'm going to do it this week by Friday. Things had fallen apart. I would like binge over the weekend and then I would restart the new week. And this happened for. Longer than than I wish it had happened, and I didn't see any change with my body. It was just I was always still the same. Um, I still had the freshman fifteen plus to be, to that I wanted to lose, and nothing was really happening with my body. About this time is also when I started training for my marathon, and I was just talking to someone about this the other day. But I, I was the heaviest I've ever been when like when i ran my marathon um training for and running my marathon and i i find that's actually a really common occurrence with people a lot of times people are like oh i'm going to like i want to lose weight so i'm going to run a marathon and i'm going to do all this running and it's going to help me lose weight but for me and a lot of people that i've talked to i was actually the heaviest that i ever weighed when i was training for my marathon and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that cardio makes you really hungry. And so I was, you know, I was running a lot, but I was also eating a lot to compensate for that. And so this, you know, it's all kind of wrapped up in this experience. And then I started having babies. And I guess I can't say that like the heaviest I've ever been is when I trained for my marathon. I guess the heaviest I've ever been to that point was when I trained for my marathon, but then I had babies and that completely changes your body. And you have, you know, you know, postpartum weight that you've gained and and having to go through that experience. And I just didn't have enough information about how to do this in a way that actually was going to be beneficial for me. It was actually going to change my body, be healthy, and like be mentally in a good place to be able to do, you know, to change my physique. So fast forward, multiple kids, multiple gaining and trying to lose weight. Um, during this point in my life I did start teaching fitness classes and that you know was able to help me be able to like maintain my weight And um, you know, not necessarily like get super super lean, but be able to like kind of at least control it in some way. I I still felt like I had somewhat balance with food. Um, I wasn't you know super super strict. I I had some like moderation with food, but really I think the exercise was keeping things under control. And that leads us into 2016 when I found macro counting, and that's really when I started to really understand nutrition and specifically how food could impact my physique and the reality of like, I needed to actually change things less with my nutrition than I thought in the past. And so these are some of the, like during that experience, during that time period, and then rolling into counting macros, being able to lose 10 pounds, get a six pack, being able to really finally have control over changing my physique based off of my nutrition. I learned a whole lot of things that I wish I could go back and tell, you know, 19, 20 year old Amber when I was trying to work that 15, that you know, freshman 15 off. And so those are the things that I want to share with you today. It's kind of like I'm going back and telling myself, uh, what I wished I would have known. And hopefully this will be really valuable for you to be able to make it so your fitness journey, your weight loss journey is a little bit more successful than I was at that time. All right. So the first thing, extremes prevent long-term results. And this is something that I wish that I would have known back in the day, and it's something that is such an aha for so many women when I start coaching them, because we have been made to believe that the more extreme something is, the faster it's going to yield results. And on some level, that makes logical sense, right? If if I need to create a caloric deficit, well, the larger the caloric deficit, the less calories I eat, the more exercise I do... I should get faster results. Like logically, that makes sense. And so we get stuck in this cycle of thinking, well, I just need to go balls to the walls and I just need to eat 800 calories and I just need to do two hours of cardio at the gym and I just need to cut out all the sugar and I just need to, you know, this is what I tell myself I just need to eat clean and I just need to not eat anything processed. And we do this from the intent of wanting to produce results. Like the, our intent is not, it's not. A bad intent. It's, hey, I want to, I want to get there, and I want to get there as fast as possible. I don't think relating this to like a road trip. No, none of us go on road trips and are like, how long can I make this take? Well, at least, at least I'm not like that. <laughs> Maybe you loved road trips, but most of us are not like, hey, how long can we make this road trip take? We're like, what is the fastest way to get me from point A to point B? And we bring that mindset with us into our weight loss journey. What's the fastest way that I can lose twenty pounds? Well, the more extreme I am, the more aggressive I am, the faster I'm going to lose the 20 pounds. So that's what I'm going to do. But here's the caveat. The real question isn't how fast can I get from point A to point B? How fast can I lose the 20 pounds? But do I want to just get to point B? Do I just want to lose the 20 pounds? Or do I want to lose the 20 pounds and keep it off? Because the approach you need to take to lose 20 pounds is very different than the approach you need to take to lose 20 pounds and keep it off. In fact, I was just talking to a woman in my DMs today and she was saying that she did Optavia and she lost 40 pounds, but then she regained the 40 pounds and then more. And so, yeah, you know, it's it's one thing to lose 20 pounds, but losing 20 pounds and keeping it off. That's not the, there's not the same thing. It's not the same destination. And so this obsession that we have with getting to the destination fast is really misguided because you don't just want to lose 20 pounds or 40 pounds or 50 pounds or a hundred pounds. Most of us, when we set that goal, what we're really saying is I want to lose 40 pounds and I want to keep it off. And then we're trying to go the route of how can we lose it as fast as possible, which is actually counterintuitive with what we really need to be doing, which is to be able to lose it in a way that we can keep it off. And those are completely different processes. So that's a really good question to ask yourself. Do I want to, do I just want to see that number on the scale? Do I just want to see 140 on the scale and then I don't really care what happens after that? If so, cool, extremes, do it. (laughs) Starve yourself. Don't actually starve yourself. But like extremes may get you there. But if you're like... Actually, I don't just want to lose the 20 pounds. I don't want to just hit 140 on the scale. I want to hit 140 on the scale and be able to maintain it. My friend, that requires a very different approach. And it requires a pr- approach that you can maintain for much longer than you can maintain anything super extreme. So that's, that's the issue with extremes. is They are, in the name, extreme. They are something that we can't do forever. It's something maybe you can do for a short while, a little bit of time. But if you can't do it long term, it's never going to be able to to you're never going to be able to maintain it. And that's a really really important point. So, one of the questions that I love to have my clients self-reflect on and these are some questions that you can be asking yourself about your journey as well is am I enjoying this process? Is this fun? (laughs) Am I having fun with this process? If the answer is no, then the follow-up question should be, how can I make this more fun? Because the more fun it is, the more you actually enjoy the process. One, the longer you're going to be able to stick with it. And two, the more likely you are to be able to sustain it long-term. And if you want to be able to not only lose weight, but to lose weight and keep it off, then you want to be able to sustain it long-term. Now, let me be really clear. I am not saying that every single point of your journey has to be fun. There, there are going to be hard points. You know, any type of change requires you to do new things. And new things are always, like, there's a challenge associated with new things. So I'm not saying that every single point of the process has to be super fun and, like, kicks and giggles. But remembering that the hard points have a purpose behind them when When we know that there's a purpose behind something's hard that's hard, we are able to deal with that much more. So the more fun that you can make this process, the less you have to rely on willpower. And the more you're able to deal with the tough times that do come up because there there will be tough times. Like I'm not saying that this whole process is just gonna be super easy. That's silly to think that. But if most of it is fun, and you' you've created it in a way that is enjoyable for you, then when you do get to those tough points, you have more of a, of a reserve to be able to make it through. So, I feel like a lot of people approach weight loss with, what is the most, what is the most that I can give this process? What is the most extreme thing that I can, you know, maybe suck up and do? And then that's that's where they go. Instead, what I would rather you do, and what's going to be so much more successful for you in the long term is to think, what am I currently doing now? Because that's easy. Whatever you're doing now is is likely easy for you. It's habitual. What am I doing now? And how could I tweak it just a little bit to move in the direction that I want to go? So here's a great example. I get in my DMs and comments all the time about people who are complaining that they are supposed to be eating 170 grams of protein. And they're like, I don't even know how to eat 170 grams of protein. And when I ask them, hey, did you track your normal intake? Do you know, you know, before you started counting macros, do you know how how much protein you were eating? Usually they say no, they didn't ever, ever do that step, which is like a huge red flag to me as a coach. Um, I always want my clients and I teach everybody to track your normal intake first, before you set your macros, if you've downloaded my setting macros guide, um, which is at bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash set my macros, that's the first thing that I tell you to do is track your normal intake. So either they tell me, no, I've never tracked the normal intake, or they'll say something about like, yeah, I tracked my normal intake and I was eating about 60 grams of protein. And, and then I will ask them, why did you think that you could go from 60 grams of protein to 160 grams of protein and that that wasn't going to be hard or not a problem? And so this is where I really encourage people just to scale back and first figure out what are you already doing? Because eating 60 grams of protein is probably not hard for you. That's what you normally do. So if we want to scale that up, maybe we could push ourselves and say, okay, I've been eating 60 grams of protein. That's been really easy. I'm going to push it a little bit and I'm going to, I'm going to work on eating 85 grams of protein. Awesome. Don't you think that you're going to be more successful with eating 85 grams of protein? And don't you think that it's going to be easier and that you're going to be able to feel successful and get some like movement in the right direction that's going to build some momentum for you? Then if you're going to try and eat 160 grams of protein, completely overhaul your lifestyle, eat all these foods you're not used to, probably beat yourself up because it's going to be really hard to make all those changes and then kind of just throw your hands up in the mirror and be like, well, I guess I can't eat 160 grams of protein. So I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. That's what often happens. So instead look at what you're currently doing and add a little bit to that. Okay. I'm eating 60 grams of protein. I'm going to focus on eating 85 grams of protein. Now, A lot of times people's brains start screaming to be like, well, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to get as much results as if you ate 160 grams of protein. And I want you to tell that voice in your head to shut up because it's not true. You are actually going to get more results eating 85 grams of protein consistently than you are trying to eat 160 grams of protein, being unsuccessful, beating yourself up, and then throwing your hands up in the air and saying, I just can't even do this and quitting. And that is what happens so often with people and macro counting is it's too complicated. It's too hard. They've set the bar way too high. And then they just throw their hands in the air and they say, macro counting isn't for me. I can't do this. Instead, let's scale it back and look at what you can do. Like Instead of going extreme, what is movement in the right direction? Instead of saying, I'm going to go to bed at 9 p.m. and you've been going to bed at 11.30, can we move that up 15 minutes? Those types of changes are what we are going to want in order to see long-term sustainable results. So thing number one, I wish I knew, is that extremes actually prevent long-term results. Number two, this one's a big one. I wish that I would have known that fat loss and weight loss are not the same thing. I, back in the day, I had my scale and that was all I looked at. And so I would step on the scale. And if it was up, I was depressed. I was disappointed. I wasn't making progress. And if the scale was down, I was happy. I was going in the right direction and I was losing fat in my mind. That's what I thought. And that's how so many of us view the scale. We view it as a one-to-one relationship with whether or not we're going in the right direction. Right? I step on the scale, I lost a pound. In our minds, it's like I've lost a pound of fat. And then we step on the scale and it's up a pound. And now in our minds, I've gained a pound of fat. But in reality, your scale doesn't measure fat loss or fat gain. It measures weight loss and weight gain. And your body, the weight of your body is from much more than just fat. You think about it. You have skin, you have muscles, you have hair and nails and organ tissue, and you have water, you have blood volume, you have fat, you have the food that you ate that you're continuing to digest, you have your poop, like you have all of these things and all of that together makes up your body weight. And so of course your weight is going to fluctuate up and down. And that it doesn't necessarily mean it's in relationship to how much fat you have on your body. For example, if you take a diuretic and you're going to pee out a whole bunch of water, I promise you the scale will go down when you're on that diuretic. It doesn't mean that you've lost any fat. In fact, all you've lost is water. Same thing with, I see this a lot with women who are training and lifting weights for the first time and they start freaking out because the scale starts going up and they immediately equate that weight gain with fat gain. But in reality, they're gaining muscle. So yeah, the scale is going to go up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's fat. Fat and weight are not the same thing. And the problem is, is that your scale cannot measure how much fat you have on your body. All it can measure is your weight. Now, that doesn't mean we just toss out the scale. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have some helpful information. It does. It's just incomplete information. And so if you're on a fat loss journey and the only way you are measuring your progress is by the scale, you are looking at an incomplete data point. You're looking at a data point and asking it to tell you information. It cannot tell you. It cannot tell you if you've gained fat or lost fat. There's not a one-to-one relationship with fat loss. So what does that mean? It means that we need to incorporate other data points so that we can get a clearer picture of what's going on. It's not that we toss out the scale. It's not that we don't pay attention to it. It's just incomplete. It needs other data points surrounding it so that we can figure out okay, the scale has gone down or the scale has gone up, that tells me my weight has changed. It doesn't tell me what I lost or gained. And when we can put other data points alongside of it, we get a much clearer picture about what's going on and whether we're losing fat, whether we're losing muscle, whether we're gaining fat, whether we're gaining muscle, whether it's water weight. And so those other data points help to give us a fuller, clearer picture. And that is why I have all of my clients not only take their scale measurement, their weight, but also all of their their actual measurements. So a waist measurement, a chest measurement, an arm measurement, a leg measurement, a hip measurement. And those measurements, alongside with your scale weight, alongside with your progress pictures, and alongside some of the more like non-scale things that happen, you know, you feel leaner, your rings fit better, your shirts fit better. All of those data points put together give us a much clearer picture of what's going on with your body. So when the scale's down, We can use that as one data point, but we need to corroborate it with all the other data points to figure out, okay, my weight is down. Am I losing fat? Am I losing water? Am I losing muscle? When we look at the data points as a whole, we can figure that out. If there's one thing that you take away from this podcast, please let it be that the scale cannot tell you what you want it to tell you. It cannot tell you if you've lost fat and gained fat. So please... If you are on a fat loss journey, use the scale as a single data point, but please, please, please be taking progress pictures, be taking measurements. And that's going to give you a much clearer picture of what's going on because fat loss and weight loss are not the same thing. And I know that you say that you want to lose weight. I know that's what everybody says. I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. What you really mean is you want to lose fat because I don't think anybody's going around being like, I want to lose weight. So I'm just going to like chop off my arm. That'll do it. Or I want to lose weight, so I'm just going to, again, take a diuretic and like pee all out this water and then I'll be great. No, what you really mean is you want to lose fat. And the scale cannot tell you that on its own. Okay, thing number three that I wish that I knew before I started a weight loss journey. And that is that the more that you can approach this process like a scientist, the more successful you're going to be. Now, I think most of us know that we make the best Rational decisions when we are calm, when we are not emotional, and when we are using our thinking brain. And most of us know that when we get into emotions and when we are heightened, like a heightened emotional setting or, um, you know, feeling those heightened emotions, we don't make the best, most logical decisions, right? I'm going to make a better decision when I am calm and I am thinking than if I am angry and in the moment. We all know that to be the case. And the problem is with weight loss, for a lot of women, weight loss is a very emotional experience. It there's a lot and, and there's a lot tied to that number. This is a lot of work that I do in Macros 101 with clients is to help them figure out, you know, all the emotions and all the meanings and all of the beliefs that they have wrapped up around this number. But for what, you know, for many reasons For many women, weight loss is very emotional, and we've tied our worth to the scale, we've tied our worth to how much we weigh, and so when it's up, that can feel really crushing and really defeating and really frustrating and discouraging, and that emotional state is not the best state to make decisions from, but it's where many of us make those decisions from. We step on the scale we feel all this flood of emotions and we make a decision about our day right the scale's up oh i'm such a loser i'm never going to be successful i might as well just eat whatever i want today or you know like we make those decisions like in the moment with all that emotion and it's never going to be the best decision it's never going to be the most logical rational decision and so the less emotional we can make this process the more scientific we can make this process the better choices you're going to be able to make along the way and the better results you're going to be able to get. Now, this can be hard because nobody teaches you how to understand your body. Nobody teaches you how to look at data like a scientist. If you go to school for biochemistry or for some other um, you know, science-y um, degree, One of the things that you're going to learn, we did this in nursing school. We actually had a research class where we were taught how to look at research, how to look at data points, how to analyze them, right? You go, we took statistics to be able to figure out, okay, you have this data set, but how do we like actually look at these numbers and analyze them and figure out what the numbers are trying to tell us? That's, that is, that's a way that a scientist looks at, at data is figuring out these numbers are trying to communicate something. I need to be able to interpret them as the scientist. That's the process you learned as a scientist. How to, get data points, interpret them, and figure out what the heck they're trying to tell you. Nobody teaches you how to do that with your body. Nobody teaches you how to collect data. Nobody teaches you, once you have that data, how to make interpretations about what those data points are telling you. And that is why you need to learn to think like a scientist and to be like a scientist during this process. Because when you understand how to gather data, when you understand how to interpret that data, and then when you understand what changes and tweaks to make based off of that data, you can make very great decisions moving forward that are going to move you towards your goal. And that's what I do inside of Macros 101 is I help women go from this diet or emotional mindset when it comes to food and their bodies and help them move to the macro scientist position where you're able to analyze data. You're able to put your rational thinking cap on because when you can do that, you're going to be so much more successful in making good decisions. So many women aren't successful in their journey, not because they're doing the wrong things initially, but because they're making wrong decisions at those pivot points, at that fork in the road. They're making the wrong decisions, and often it is because they're looking at the wrong data, which we go back to number two. They're looking at that scale. That's all they're looking at. They're looking at inaccurate data, incomplete data, and they're making emotional decisions based off of incomplete data. What do you think is going to happen? If you're making an emotional decision off of incomplete data, you are not going to make a very good decision. And that is what happens so often for women in their journey. They're making emotional decisions off of incomplete data, and they wonder why they're not getting results. And so when you can really start to approach this process like a scientist, you can learn to read data. You can learn to analyze it. You can learn to figure out what it's trying to tell you, figure out what your body's trying to tell you. Then you can make adjustments based off of that feedback from your body. Game over. That's when everything starts to change, and that's what I do inside of Macros One Hundred and One. Is I teach you how to become a macro scientist because nobody teaches you these things. Even if you hire a coach, they don't teach you these things. They just do it for you. So then after you're done coaching, you don't. You still don't know how to do it because they they did it for you. I don't, I don't go that way. I want you to be able to understand how to become a macro scientist so that you can take that with you wherever you go, that you can learn to read your body, that you can learn to make adjustments. If that sounds like something that's interesting to you, we will be opening doors to Macros 101 on April 3rd. And you'll want to get on the interest list. You can go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash waitlist and the waitlist is always the first to know when we open doors, they get first dibs. So if you're interested in becoming a macro scientist and learning how to read your body and to figure out what you need in order to be successful, Macros 101 is for you. Go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash waitlist. All right, number four, and this is a big one. Weight loss or fat loss. Neither of those are going to quote unquote fix you. And I think this is a a core belief that a lot of us maybe haven't explored, but that we hold that if I could just lose this weight, it's going to fix everything. If I can just lose this weight, I'm going to be more confident. If I can just lose this weight, then I'm going to be more lovable and people are going to like me more. If I could just lose this weight, then I would be happy. If I could just lose this weight, then I would get the promotion that I'm seeking. And I've seen it myself, And I've seen it over and over and over and over again with my clients. Weight loss is not the solution to any of those things. It's so easy to set it as as the goal and as the the solution that's going to fix everything. It's going to fix my not liking myself. It's going to fix my confidence. It's going to fix my job. It's going to fix my relationships. It's going to fix all of these things and just kind of see it as like the panacea. I promise you, it's not going to fix any of those things because your weight is not what is is causing those problems. And it's really easy to fall in and be like, "Yes, it is, Amber," because I was so much happier, I was so much more confident when I was a size four. I was so much, you know, I was, I was just, I had a better relationship when I, you know, weighed 150 pounds. It's so easy to tell ourselves that, and and you may have had experiences where that, you know, that was the case in the past. And it's really easy to um, mix causation with correlation. And this is another science-y term that you probably have learned back maybe back in high school, this idea that we see correlation between two things, and it's really easily to attribute causation to it. But in reality, just because two things are correlated, just because two things go up at the same time doesn't mean that one thing caused the other one to go up. So causation and correlation are not the same thing. And that is what a lot of us have done with things like weight and confidence. Well, when I was size four, I was more confident and now I'm less confident. And so it must mean that my size dictates my confidence. But that really starts to fall down when you realize that there are people who are heavier than you that are more confident. And there are people that are lighter than you that are more confident. And so it really confidence does not is not a one to one relationship again with your weight there's so much more that goes into confidence and just because you were more confident at a certain body size doesn't mean that that body size causes confidence i can tell you some of the least confident women i've ever met are women that you would go into the the gym and you would say if i said whose goals whose body is goals you would point to that woman i've coached many of those women and they are not all of them like let's not make i'm not making blanket statements but it just it continues to shock and surprise me the women who you would look at and think oh my gosh they have to be so confident because their body is just like amazing that they are some of the least confident women and and then there are women in larger bodies who are completely confident and so just you know this is it's a, just an example but many of us tell ourselves these stories of i will be fixed when i lose the weight And understanding that that isn't the solution, that weight loss isn't going to actually fix any of those things, can be really empowering because you don't have to wait for weight loss to happen. Some of us are waiting to say, I'll be happy when I lose the weight. And if you continue to hold on to that, then you can never be happy until you lose the weight. And it's like, how long is it going to take you to do that? And then that's where we get really antsy and we get really impatient because like, I can't be happy until I'm 140 pounds. And so then I got to get to 140 pounds as fast as possible. And that leads us to extremes, which is what I talked about in number one. And then when it's not sustainable, and then we feel even worse about ourselves because maybe we hit the, the number, but then we never maintained it. And it's just all a big cycle. So if you're up for it, I would love to do a little a little coaching with you. Uh, Just over this podcast. So I have some questions for you that you can answer that can be really profound for you to dive a little bit deeper into this topic. So question number one, and if you're really committed to this, you will actually pause this this, um, podcast as I ask these questions and actually think about them or actually write them down. Um, It's awesome just to sit here and listen. It will be much more powerful and much more effective if you actually take the time to do and ask yourself these questions. So question number one is what is the outcome that you want? What's your goal? What are you working towards? Question number two is why do you want it? And again, if you, really want, if you really want to like do the work and be successful and have this actually do something for you, I really encourage you to pause right now. Ask yourself, like, why do I want it? And the follow-up question to that is, what do you think that it's going to give you? You want to weigh 150 pounds. Awesome. Why do you want it? What do you think that it's what? What do you think is going to be different then? I, I like to ask that question. Like, what do you think is different there than here? Because in our mind, usually when we've set a goal, it's because we think there is going to be different than here. And getting really clear on what your mind is saying will be different can be really enlightening and really helpful. Once you have figured that out, and this sometimes takes a little bit of like um, diving, uh, like multiple questions of like, why, 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 why? So what do, what do you want? Why do you want it? What's it going to give you? What's that going to give you? What's that going to give you? Getting deep down to what it is actually that you are, that you're wanting and realizing because once you get there, a lot of people, it's confidence or, um, feeling sexy or, you know, feeling enough, feeling whole. Those often are like things that people will if they dig deep enough, they'll find or underline those those weight loss goals. Realizing that those things almost always can be achieved without weight loss. Weight loss isn't going to automatically fix your confidence or your relationship with your partner or your negative thoughts about yourself or even your health. And this is a big one, guys, because a lot of times people get really held up and they're like, well, Amber, I actually, I actually really need... To lose 50 pounds because, like, my health, like, I I need to for my health. And it's really important to understand that health is found in behaviors much more than is found in your weight. Okay, I'm gonna say that again health is found in behaviors, not in your weight, meaning working out is a healthy behavior regardless of how much you weigh you can be you can be more healthy today by working out even if it doesn't cause weight loss today that is a healthy behavior and so when we if you really do want to focus on health focusing on healthy behaviors is something that you can do and something that can change your health today even without losing a single pound and that can be a really powerful place to come from but any you know most things that people say that they want can be achieved without the weight loss. Now, I'm not saying you can't want weight loss. I'm not saying you shouldn't set a weight goal. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a fat loss journey. I'm not saying any of that. I actually completely support women working towards the goals that they want. But here's the key. When you work towards that goal from a place of completeness, from a place of wholeness, that goal becomes really fun. It becomes really low pressure. And it comes from a place of desire rather than wanting. And what do I mean by that? Wanting, when you want something, there's an inherent uh, statement that I don't have something. I want something, which inherently means that I don't have it. It's like, it comes from a place of lack, I want something, I don't have it, and I want it. And that's how a lot of us are going through our our journeys of like, I lack this thing, so I want to have this weight loss goal. Rather than what's much more empowering is coming from a place of desire. Desire is from a place of wholeness. It's a place of like, I'm already enough. I can already be confident. I can already have a great relationship with my partner. I can already say kind things to myself. Like I am already whole and I desire that thing. And now that becomes a really fun thing to work towards. Like I said, it becomes low pressure. So many of us are on a weight loss journey and we wonder why we're not successful. And when you step back and you take a look out of it, you realize you've created an intense amount of pressure around this goal. As if, if I don't hit that goal, then I'm not enough. If I don't hit that goal, then I can, I'm i not confident. If I don't hit that goal, I'm never going to be successful. If I don't hit that goal, I'm not worthy. Those are some high stakes, friend. <laughs> like, no wonder you're like shying away from them. It's like you're you're trying to like put yourself into the Super Bowl and think that you're going to perform optimally you've set the stakes so high that it freaks your brain out. Our brain does not like high stakes. It is very scary to our brain. And so, what's really going to be successful is if you can come from a place of desire rather than wanting, a place of low pressure, a place of curiosity of like, you know what would be fun? Is like, let's let's go challenge ourselves and do this thing. Let's see if we can lose 20 pounds. And but it comes from a place of like I'm already enough. i'm I'm good. i'm you know, I'm an awesome person. i am I talk to myself kindly, I'm confident, and I would love to like challenge myself and lose the twenty pounds. That is a powerful place to be able to have a weight loss journey from. Okay, but if we have this idea that it's going to fix us, we're gonna crash and burn every single time. All right. Last and final one, number five, I wish that I had known that setbacks are inevitable. And what really matters is how you handle them. Now, I, like, I even hesitated to call these setbacks because I feel like it gives the impression that like, something's wrong when they happen. And friend, nothing is wrong. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with what we like, often look at and call setbacks, in fact, I, I like to think of them as like switchbacks. Um, I remember when I was a kid, we did a ton of hiking when I was a kid. My dad is really into like outdoors. We did a ton of camping growing up. Every Fourth of July, we would do the same hike. In fact, we just took our kids up. So I grew up in Seattle and we did the same hike every single Fourth of July. It was just like our Fourth of July tradition. And we, my parents moved uh, away from Seattle when, right when I got married, uh, so in 2004, and I hadn't been back up to Seattle since because my family didn't live there anymore, and but my brother um, a couple years ago graduated from UW, and so whole family went up there to celebrate his graduation and to be there for his graduation. And I, I got to take my kids up there and we actually went on this hike that I, I took, I had to take my kids on this hike that we went on every 4th of July. And wouldn't you know, um, in Seattle fashion, it rained on, on the hike. And my kids still talk about it to this day of like, what a fun hike that was for them. Uh, they just loved how it rained on the hike. You know, it doesn't rain very much in Southern California. So we're not, we're not very used to rain. Um, but anyway this hike so i used to go on this hike all the time with my family we hiked a lot and and i remember during hikes when i was like little and i first understood like what a switchback was like if you have never been on a hike and you start going on a switchback it feels like you aren't going anywhere right you're going all the way to the right. And then it curves and it goes all the way to the left and it curves and goes all the way. You're like, where am I going? I'm literally just like walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. This isn't actually taking me anywhere. But uh, you know that's actually on purpose. Like a switchback is on purpose because going straight up the hill would be way, way too challenging and way too hard. And so we switch back and forth and it can feel like you're going backwards or it can feel like you're having a setback. But in reality, that's just the trail. Like That's the trail to go up the mountain. And it's the same thing with our journey. We often will see things as quote unquote setbacks or quote unquote, I fell off the wagon. But I wish that we would look at those more of realizing like that, there's nothing wrong here. Like that's part of the process. The part of the process is quote unquote falling off the wagon. And the difference is between the people who are successful and the people who aren't, it's not that the people who are successful never fall off the wagon. That That is not what makes them successful. What makes them successful is what happens when they fall off the wagon. It's what make what happens when they have those setbacks, when they you know have discouragement. That's what matters. And so the most important thing is how you deal with what you view as a setback. Women who are successful are able to reframe setbacks, get back on the horse as fast as possible, and keep going. So if you're in a moment right now where you're experiencing one of those setbacks or you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling discouraged, there's nothing wrong here. It really is about how how long you're going to stay in this in this feeling of discouragement. How quickly are you going to get back on track? How quickly are you going to regroup and handle what you're looking at as a setback? And if you need a little bit of help, episode 105 is a fantastic listen. The title is What to Tell Yourself When You're Discouraged. So if you feel like you're in a moment where you're a little frustrated or you're a little discouraged and you need some help reframing it, you need some help getting back on the way. Again, you need some help getting out of that discouragement, go listen to episode 105. All right, so those are the five things that I wish that I would have known before starting a weight loss journey. And I hope that it offered something to you and maybe gave you something to chew on as you embark on or continue on in your journey. So just to recap, number one, extremes prevent long-term results. Number two, fat loss and weight loss are not the same thing. Number three, the more you can approach the process like a scientist, the more successful you'll be. Number four, weight loss is not going to fix you. And number five, setbacks are inevitable. What matters is how you handle them. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, will you do me a favor and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast? Those really help the the podcast to be able to find new listeners and people who would also benefit and, and find value in the podcast. So, you know, for a free content creator like myself, one of the best things that you can do is to leave a rating review and or share this episode with a friend. Those are the two best ways you can say thank you uh, to putting out free content for you. And last reminder, we will be opening doors to Macros 101 on April 3rd. So if you want to not miss that and you're curious and want to find out more about becoming a macro scientist and learning how to read the data from your body and make adjustments and um, figure out what's going to be most effective and enjoyable for you and the the results that you want to see with your body, I highly recommend Macros 101. You can go to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash waitlist to get on the waitlist for when we open doors. That wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember my friend, you can do anything. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.